Well, let's see. Can we try it again? He is risen. Amen. Good morning, Stafford Baptist Church, and happy Resurrection Sunday. It's a delight to be gathered with you again to worship our risen Lord. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Kelton. I serve as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. We're going to continue our worship of our risen Savior this morning now from hearing from His Word taught. So please, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the the first book of the New Testament, about four-fifths of the way through your Bible. The chapter numbers are the large numbers, the verses are the small. We're going to be in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. It's been a month since we've been in the book of Matthew, but we're picking up right where we left off at the end of chapter 8. But before we read God's Word and and get started, would you please pray with me once more for God to, to bless our hearing of His Word. Let's pray. Father, it is right for us to pause before we come to you in your word to ask of your blessing. Lord, to remove distractions from our hearts. Lord, this morning to help us to focus, to hear, to believe, to rejoice and obey. So, Lord, we pray this, that by the power of your spirit, you would reveal to us the beauty of your Son through your word. And it's in his name that we pray this. Amen. Well, it's, it's easy to take things for granted, to assume something will happen without even thinking about it. Our son Asa was born three weeks ago. We had my parents and in-laws visiting us to help And they they took very good care of us during their time here. Dishes, laundry, food, all taken care of. In in less than a week, I began to take it all for granted, to, to forget how dishes got clean, how laundry got folded. It just happened. It got done. Well, they left us on Wednesday. It's been a a rude awakening since then. Unfortunately, we tend to do the same things spiritually. On his deathbed, the German poet Heinrich Hein was asked by a priest if he thought that God would forgive him for his sin. In reply, he said, of course God will forgive me. It's his job. Like I did with the help of my family, Heinrich took God's forgiveness for granted. It's simply his job, his duty. He's obligated to forgive my sins. But is that true? Is God's forgiveness of our sins simply his job? It's just the natural order of things. You sin, God forgives. Ho-hum. Or is there more to it. This morning, our sermon text will show us that far from being the natural order of things, your forgiveness is a miracle. As one theologian put it, forgiveness is the very opposite of anything that can be taken for granted. Nothing is less obvious than forgiveness. Wherever, whenever, God in His mercy forgives sinners. It is a miracle 
an extraordinary event with supernatural causes. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. And of course, today on Resurrection Sunday, we reflect that the greatest miracle and proof of Jesus' authority to forgive sins is not in healing the sick, but his own resurrection from the dead, the greatest miracle of his ministry. So let's read Matthew 9, starting in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he, that is Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. The word of the Lord. Well, Matthew here is continuing his account of the ministry of Jesus. He is teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is healing and, and delivering from affliction among the people. When we studied chapter 8, last time we were in Matthew, we saw how, how Jesus has authority over, over sickness, over self, over storm, over spirits. Today, we see Jesus' authority over even sin. I'd summarize the passage like this. It says, come to the risen Christ, whose miraculous power proves his authority to forgive your sins. Come to the risen Christ, whose miraculous power proves his authority to forgive your sins. The, the passage is an invitation to, to faith in Jesus Christ, to share in the faith of the paralytic, faith that united him to Christ and, and brought to him the forgiveness of sins. But more than that, this passage gives us the confidence that our forgiveness is secure because the one who forgives us has the authority of God himself, proven not only by his miraculous power to heal, but by his miraculous power to rise from the dead. Well, we won't have a traditional outline this morning. We're just going to walk through the story scene by scene. So join with me at the start of our story in verse 1, Jesus' return journey. The, the first verse is really a conclusion to chapter 8. If you were with us, you right, might remember back in chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum, healing all in his hometown. But in 8.18, he, he sends his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee. And it's on that crossing that he calms the storm. Well, on the other side of the sea, in, in Gadarenes, he, he heals two possessed men, casting the spirits into to swine. Miraculous deliverance from demon possession. Well, in, in verse 34, the, the whole city comes out to meet this Jesus. 
and they beg him to leave. When we studied it, we noted it must have been because they they feared further financial loss. They had already lost a whole herd of pigs. What might more would they lose if if Jesus stayed? So they they ask him to to leave. Well, here we read in chapter 9, verse 1, they they leave. They get on the boat and go back to Capernaum. You get the impression that they never really made it far off the shore, far enough to heal the men, for the crowds to see them, and, and they leave. How sobering is it to consider? Jesus listened to their request. They begged him to leave, and he did. God and man, the only Savior on a mission to proclaim the gospel and to heal, and they let him leave. There's a warning there for us too as we start. Jesus hasn't arrived at our shore by boat this morning, but he does speak to us through his word. It might be just as easy for us to to gather with the Easter crowds, to, to see him, but to miss who he really is, to be blind to the truth. Well, what about you? Especially if you're joining with us this morning as a visitor, I want to welcome you and thank you for being with us. What does Easter mean for you? Is it an opportunity to decorate eggs, eat candy, have a wonderful meal with your family, other traditions? Do you gather with the crowds, so to speak, for the spectacle without seeing Jesus for who he is? Don't hear me saying that it's wrong to enjoy holidays. It's not. Please, please enjoy all the traditions of this holiday. But, but beware. If you're not careful, Jesus might, might come and go with you no better off. With no forgiveness of sins, the, the gift that he offers those to come to him in faith. That's what we see in verse 2 of our story. Look with me there. Matthew's story moves quickly. As he gets back to Capernaum, we now see the the faith of the forgiven here. Apparently, when he was in Capernaum, he hadn't healed everybody. So some people bring to him, here in verse 2, a paralytic. We've already seen Jesus heal the paralyzed in in the Gospel of Matthew, back in 424 in in 8.6. This is no challenge for Jesus. We don't know the the medical cause for this man's paralysis, nor how long he's been paralyzed. All that we know is it prevents him from walking. So he had to be carried to Jesus by his friends. These are the best kinds of friends, you know, bringing him to Jesus, no matter the cost. We learn in the other gospel accounts that, that in fact, they, they couldn't get to Jesus because the crowds were so large. They had to go to the roof of the building, remove the the tiles, and and lower him through the roof to get to Jesus. That's some dedicated friends. 
Well, what Jesus sees is not just the best kinds of friends, but their faith, it says. Jesus sees their faith. Yes, faith is an inner posture of the heart, but it's something that can be observed in in how you act, how you live. These men demonstrated their faith so that it could be seen by all and seen by Jesus. I wonder, if you claim faith in Jesus, can anybody else see it? What would others say about what your faith looks like in life? How has the miracle of Jesus' resurrection, of your forgiveness of sins, changed how you live for all to see? Because as as preachers love to say, if you are what you were, then you ain't. We we mean that that real faith changes us to, to live in ways that can be seen by all. It needs to be demonstrated. Faith looks like something in your life. It looks like confidence in Jesus, coming to him with all of life's greatest difficulties. Faith isn't blind. It isn't hoping against reason. It is active trust in Jesus. Here's an illustration from the speaker Tim Barnett. Imagine with me that you're standing at Niagara Falls. And while you're watching the magnificent display of of the water, you notice there's a tightrope walker walking from one side to the other pushing a wheelbarrow full of rocks, suspended 150 feet in the air above the roaring waters. You're mesmerized by his amazing ability. You keep watching him go back and forth, back and forth without so much as a stumble. Well, then he sees you. He walks over and asks, do you have faith that I could do it again? You reply, of course I have faith you could do it again. I've I've seen you do it dozens of times already, easily. Well, he dumps the rocks out of his wheelbarrow and says, okay, climb in. Faith is more than just knowing that the tightrope walker can do it again. It's getting in the wheelbarrow and crossing with him because you're relying on him. That's what Jesus sees in these men, real faith, active trust, reliance on his ability. Matthew doesn't tell us why they've come, but based on everything that's been going on in chapter 8 in Capernaum, we assume that they, they have faith that Jesus can heal their friend's paralysis. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Jesus, seeing their faith, doesn't heal but speaks comfort to the man. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus thinks there is something more important than healing his legs. It is comforting his heart. Between paralysis and sin, sin is the more basic problem. Well, what is sin? 
Sin is anything we, we desire, we say, or, or do contrary to God's law. And, and all people sin, because all people are, are born sinners. We are born with a nature that rejects God and His laws, a heart that is bent inward on ourselves, and it just feels so natural. And because God is good, He, he is against our sin. He is opposed to our evil, whether or not we think it evil. It deserves His justice, His anger, His retribution. Now, forgiveness of those sins, then, is, is bringing that just and good anger to an end. It is canceling what our sins deserve. And this is what Jesus comforts that man with. Forgiveness of sins. Take heart, he says. Have confidence. Have assurance. You can't stand on your legs, but take a stand in your heart that you have your sins forgiven. Well, how about you? Have you come to Jesus in, in real faith that relies on Him that He would heal what ails you? Well, Jesus would say first to rejoice in this, that your sins are forgiven. To have a healthy body is nothing compared to having God's just anger against your sins canceled. But notice, brothers and sisters, that it is the sight of faith in this man that prompts Jesus to assure him, to comfort him with the forgiveness of sins. It isn't that faith earns forgiveness. No, rather it's, it's faith that is the straw that allows us to drink of God's forgiveness. Faith unites us to the Savior. We are made alive together with Christ, not by anything that we do, but because of what He has done for us. This is the great principle of, of the gospel, the, the good news of the Bible, that unholy people can be made right with the holy God not simply because it's his job, but because he has made a way through the provision of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, for now, just, just note that, that forgiveness is assured to this man, not because of his deserving, not because of his goodness, not because it's God's duty, but because of his faith, the faith of the forgiven for all to see well, the story continues at a quick pace because we're not yet at the main point. In verse 3, another end, behold. Matthew's focus isn't so much on the, the faith of the man, but the authority of Jesus to grant forgiveness to him. As we see here, some find Jesus' words hard to believe. The scribes, in verse 3, scoff. Like their name implies, scribes were experts in, in written documents. Essentially, their job was to, to study the law and to, to teach it and interpret it. So obviously, there, there are some scribes here in Capernaum listening to Jesus teach, watching him heal. But when they hear what he says to the paralytic, they scoff. Matthew records that they say to themselves that, that what Jesus is uttering is blasphemy, a strong accusation. It means to, to slander or to dishonor God. 
Obviously, they think that, that by acting in a way that he has the ability to forgive sins, Jesus is dishonoring God. Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do. He's blaspheming. And there really should be no one better to make this assessment. These teachers of the law would, would know better than anyone else what is God's right to do and what is not man's. And certainly forgiveness of sins is, is one of those things. So the scribes scoff in verse 3. But in verse 4, we see their hearts revealed. There in verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing their thoughts, it may be that they muttered among themselves. It would not have been difficult to guess how they feel based on their reaction. But Matthew says that Jesus knew their thoughts. This disciple of Jesus, those who, who knew him best, have no problem ascribing to this man supernatural knowledge. Already in this story, Jesus has assessed the faith of the men as, as true faith. He has claimed the ability to forgive sins. He knows thoughts. He will add to this a, another healing. The inescapable conclusion is that this Jesus is no mere man. He's not just a very good moral teacher or an inspirational leader. We gather this morning 2,000 years later, not to appreciate the example of a particularly good man, but to worship the deity of the God-man. Well, in revealing their hearts, brothers and sisters, we learn that there is no hiding from Jesus. Today, too many put on a religious show, cleaning up the outside, when their hearts are empty of what they profess Friends, there is no need to pretend in Jesus' community. When you join a church, you join a community of people who are all known like this by Jesus. Nothing you could confess to anyone isn't already known and forgiven by the head of this community. So, Stafford Baptist, the, the church in the world should be known as the, the most honest and gracious community in the world. Not excusing sin, but, but graciously confessing it and fighting it with one another. Because Jesus knows our thoughts and everything about us, and he offers forgiveness. So, brothers and sisters, I'd, I'd encourage you to put that truth into practice. It's easy for us to talk about what we enjoy. Sometimes we talk about our pains, but, but go deeper. This week, find a trusted brother or sister and share with them something about your thoughts, something transparent and, and personal. And do so with the freedom that, that Jesus invites these kinds of conversations. We see him do exactly this in verse 4. You see there, he invites the scribe's reflection with a question. Why? Why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus says that their accusation of blasphemy is, is evil. And why is it that these scribes think evil? 
Well, Jesus teaches us in, in Mark 7.21, it's, it's from within, out of the heart of man, that comes evil thoughts. These scribes think evil because the core of their being, their hearts, are evil. Wrong thoughts about Jesus are natural to sinful hearts. We need Jesus' help to see him for who he really is. And that's what he invites the scribes to in verse 4. Hearts revealed in verse 4. But now he, in verse 5, is going to raise a question. Look at it again with me. Verse 5. For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Jesus is going to justify his earlier claim to forgive sins. His authority will be demonstrated. So first, he asks the scribes in the presence of the crowd and the paralytic, which is easier? If he's able to do the harder, then certainly he can do the easier. Well, which is the, the easier of Jesus' question? Certainly, we think it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. It's not tangible. It, it can't be immediately tested and supported by evidence. But to say, rise up and walk, well, well, we can test that and immediately see. This paralytic had to be carried in by his friends. He certainly cannot walk. So let's, let's test it now. Let's, let's see it happen. Say it, Jesus. Well, in verse 6, he makes clear that the purpose of his healing is to prove what those scribes doubt, that he has authority on earth to forgive sins. There you see in verse 6 that he calls himself the, the Son of Man. It's his favorite title for himself. He uses it some 28 times in the Gospel of Matthew. The, the title is drawn from Daniel chapter 7, where we have a, a description of a ruler from heaven who has a universal and eternal kingdom. It's the title of authority as a man from heaven. You can see why he uses it here. This ruler is about to demonstrate his rule. Well, the question raised its time for the proof. The man healed. Jesus turns to the paralytic there in the middle of verse 6 and says the harder words. Rise, pick up your bed, go home. What happens next in verse 7 is straightforward. And he rose and went home. No spectacle. No angelic fanfare. Immediate healing and obedience. I imagine in reality the scene was more dramatic than reported. I think Matthew's point is how easy and instant it all was. In six words, proven. The man healed. It's so all the evidence you need that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. No doubt about it, this is a miracle. This isn't how healings normally take place. A miracle can be defined as an extraordinary event with an unusual supernatural cause. God normally uses immune systems and doctors and, and medicine to heal. But sometimes he goes right past the natural causes and uses a supernatural one. He intervenes 
in a miracle. And Jesus' miraculous healing, his power is exhibit A of our verses that he has authority to forgive sins. You know, Jesus' life and ministry was marked by dozens of amazing miracles. Healings like this, turning water into wine, dividing bread and fishes, even raising the dead. All proof as Son of Man, His authority from heaven to forgive sins. But perhaps the most important miracle of the Son of Man is what makes Him utterly unique. Other prophets have healed, have raised the dead, have provided food miraculously. But one miracle is particularly unique to Jesus. It's it's what we celebrate this morning. It's his own victory over the grave. No other person, no man of God or prophet, not Moses, not Muhammad, has this kind of authority. Jesus himself describes his resurrection as proof of his authority. Listen to him in in John 10, 18, where he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. When Jesus walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, it was because he had authority to take up his own life. It was an announcement to the cosmos that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, even authority over life itself. So we see the scribes were wrong to scoff at what Jesus claimed. In this Jesus Paul says in Colossians 2.9, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He has all the authority of heaven as deity itself to pronounce the forgiveness of sins. Well, brothers and sisters, this Resurrection Sunday, as we gather to sing and praise our God, our God risen from the dead, trampling death, By death, our text next directs our thoughts to the forgiveness of sins. Normally, we think of the resurrection as accomplishing our justification. Like Romans 4.25 says, he was raised for our justification. Or maybe you think of the resurrection in the terms of of Romans 1.4. that says Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Well, our text this morning shows us that the resurrection is is those things but more. It is the grounds of our assurance that Christ has the authority to forgive our sins. It is the greatest proof that He has authority on earth to forgive sins. We might rewrite these verses, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or for the crucified Savior to rise and walk out of the tomb so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He got up and walked. Stafford Baptist, Jesus says to you, to me this morning, take heart, my son, my daughter, my child, 
Your sins are forgiven. The assurance you have of my authority is much more than lame legs walking. It is proved by my life after death. Christian, your forgiveness is as certain as that tomb was empty 2,000 years ago. Not one single of your sins escapes God's knowing and forgiveness. Your greed, anger, lust, strife, jealousy, slander, envy, drunkenness, idolatry, selfishness, blasphemy, murder, pride, deceit, all of it, your sins are forgiven. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the linchpin of that assurance. Either the tomb was empty and your sins forgiven, or it's a lie and we're still in our sins. Listen to the Apostle Paul teach what it would mean if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. From 1 Corinthians 15, 18. He says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You are still in your sins, he says. There is no forgiveness of sins without the resurrection of Jesus. But since he was raised, we have every reason this morning to take heart. Because with the paralytic, our sins are forgiven. In Christ, we are no longer destined for the wrath and judgment that our sins deserve. On that Good Friday, Jesus willingly laid down his life of his own accord, dying as a sacrifice in our place. Yes, he was arrested and and put on trial and sentenced to death by the Jewish and Roman authorities, but it was all according to God's plan and Jesus' willing obedience all to make a way for our salvation. And on that cross, Jesus took on himself all of our sins and and suffered God's righteous punishment against them. In those three hours, Christ suffered more than any sinner ever will in hell. The second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, perfect in holiness, bruised for your transgressions. Crushed for your iniquities. And that next Sunday brought the dawn of hope. The Son of Man with authority to take up life again rose and walked. Christian, if you have faith in Jesus, faith that climbs into the wheelbarrow on the tightrope, It is my joy to proclaim to you this morning that your sins are forgiven. We have more certainty than the paralyzed man did as he walked home on his own legs. So this morning, brothers and sisters, take that assurance and push it against any doubt you have of God's love for you. Push it against any effort you make to try to win God's grace for you any burden of your conscience of things that you have done or left undone. The early church father, John Chrysostom, 
said it this way. Let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. Well, if this talk of forgiveness sounds like old news for you, let me remind you of Heinrich Hein, who took God's forgiveness for granted. It's just his job. Your forgiveness is not just the natural order of things. Forgiveness is not to be dismissed as expected, but marveled at as a miracle. Let me, let me say that again. Forgiveness is not to be dismissed as expected, but marveled at as a miracle. A holy God putting away the sins of an unholy people by the gift of His only beloved Son. Such a sight of the glory and grace of Christ should leave us in awe. Just like it did to those who saw what happened in Matthew 9. Look with me at verse 8. With the power proven, finally the people praise. It says, when the crowds saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. You see, the people responded with fear. They were awestruck. Forgiveness granted, and not just offered, but, but proven by the power of Jesus' miracle. And so they glorified God who had given such authority. The appropriate response to the miracle of Jesus, giving proof of his authority to forgive sins, is to praise God. And this praise is not just the pious words of religious lips, but the genuine posture of the heart. Awestruck. So, friends, is your heart struck today by the wonderful power of Jesus to cancel your sins? With the gracious assurance you have by his proof that your sins are forgiven. Are you amazed again with the matchless beauty of our Savior? How many Easter's have you celebrated? Just a few? Maybe 30? 50? More? Is your heart still alive to the amazing grace of God's forgiveness after all these years? When you get to your deathbed like Heinrich Hein, what will be your confidence for forgiveness? Will you still be able to marvel at the miracle of God's forgiveness? The invitation of this Resurrection Sunday, brothers and sisters, is this. Come. Come to the risen Jesus, whose miraculous power proves his authority to forgive all sins, even yours. Let's pray. Holy Father, we rejoice this morning in the victory of Christ over death. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death, where is your victory? Father, we rejoice this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That that great miracle is proof not only of our justification, 
but the grounds of our assurance that he has all authority to forgive our sins. So Lord, we rest in that good news this morning. We take fresh joy in the forgiveness of our sins, not by any work that we have done, but simply by faith we cling to the work done by Christ on the cross for us. Lord, help us now to marvel again at the miracle of our, of our forgiveness as we sing praises to you, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray this all. Amen.